Our scripture reading today is first from Ecclesiastes 1, verses 12 through 18. I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. And from Ecclesiastes 2, verses 12 through 16. Then I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom and also madness and folly. What more can the king's successor do than what has already been done? I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise have eyes in their heads while the fools walk in the darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. Then I said to myself, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said to myself, this too is meaningless. For the wise, like the fool, will not be long remembered. The days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I can hardly believe you said thanks be to God after that. I thought you'd just say, Lord, help us. All right, we come back to this Ecclesiastes text. Um, it really, what we're going to be talking about from this text, you may not have gotten it from just the reading of it, is uh, how to make those hard decisions, wise decisions, when we face complex, difficult issues in our lives. And we face them every day, don't we? I, I thought this would be a really good uh, topic for Mother's Day because I remember parenting, I kept getting advice. This is what you should do. This is what you shouldn't do. Where, where, do, where do parents, uh, I was just taking Annie and Josh, I see you here, Johnny and Jocelyn. Uh, where, where do you get advice when those hard things come? You want to raise perfect children, right? Perfect children. And uh, so everybody is ready to tell you. But sometimes I wonder, um, are, when we follow Jesus and believe in the God who made us all, is the only thing we have to look toward is the same kind of wisdom that everybody else does. Well, I was talking with uh, Jeremy about this earlier, and you know, he has several uh, little boys, and he said, oh, there's a video that gets at that. So I'm going to show you just a part of it. Some of you can resonate with it, I'm quite sure. You know, you know, it's not easy being a new parent these days. Babies like to face forward. There are a million different baby books with a million different opinions, online articles, what to do, what not to do, how to do what you shouldn't not be doing. I read if you carry your baby while napping, he won't sleep at night. What, no, you have to carry your baby all the time or she'll never love you. Everyone has a different opinion and everyone wants to offer it to you, but sometimes you just need to trust your own instincts. 
thankfully. Tommy Tippy has figured out what to do with all those opinions. We're recycling them! And turning them into something that's actually useful. Tommy Tippy advice wipes, made from real, overwhelming baby advice. I think whoever made that video had read the book of Ecclesiastes. <laughs> that sometimes we go out there and, and try to get good advice, and sometimes we try to give it, and, and at the end of the day, that might be the best thing to do with it all. So I ask again, I mean, what Solomon wants to get at here is the world is going to give us all sorts of wisdom about how to live and how to raise our children and how to do all sorts of things. But when we actually come to know God through faith in Jesus, is, do we only have the same resources that we would have if we didn't know that there is a God? And, and Solomon takes that up. He takes up what happens when you and I make decisions without any relationship to God at all. He, he keeps using this phrase, uh, under the sun or under heaven. He said, if this is all there is and you're trying to figure out how to live, is there any way that we can live well? And, and in fact, in the text that we read, I don't know if you noticed, Ecclesiastes 1, 12 to 18, uh, I, I envision it really, King Solomon near the end of his life, looking back over his life, and he says, this is what I devoted my life to, to exploring by wisdom all that's done under heaven. He looked at all the advice anybody had ever given, even that he had ever given, and he wanted to see, was it any good at all? Now, now, you need to know that this word wisdom for Solomon, for his people, was a big word. Um, it, it was a word that include, included both what I call street smarts and book smarts. You know the difference? Uh, street smarts, one who can just figure out how to function through the world, often just intuitively book smarts, studying, studying, and studying to try to figure out what's happening. Now, he says, I try to look at wisdom here. Uh, if you're new with us, what Solomon is talking about is that if there is no other reality, no God, the only thing that exists in this world is what is what he called under the sun. It's only in this world. Then, then can we figure out how to live. Can we live if we have no relationship to God? And you have to remember that the one who, who, who wrote this book was a man who was considered by everybody to be the wisest of all wise people. I mean, you can read 1 Kings chapter 4 and just start with verse 29 and re read on, and you'll find out that Solomon was given this incredible gift of being able to sort of sense if you make this decision, that will happen, that they called wisdom, and be able to give advice uh, to other people. But Solomon even gives a testimony to the fact that throughout much of his life, he didn't uh, surrender that gift to God. Much of Ecclesiastes is all about that. And near the end of his life, he looks back over and he says, how do we live life well? And he takes up two sections in, in what uh, uh, we had read for us just before. In verses 12 to 15, the first half of it, he talks about what I call um, uh, street smarts. Uh, it's, it's called the practical aspect of wisdom. Uh, it's that kind of thing when you go to other people for advice or you go to a therapist for advice or you go down to the bookstore and buy the latest self-help book. It says uh, that kind of thing, just trying to figure out practically how to live. I'm going to take that up and see if it's any good. And he ends it with a proverb. Because Solomon liked proverbs. And then the second half, verses 16 to 18, he takes up what I call book smarts. He said, okay, I'm going to try to learn as much as I possibly can, get the best education, so try to figure it all out. Uh, and he ends that also with the proverb. So here's what I thought I'd do about this topic. I, I thought, um, I'll just let Solomon guide us, let him lead us right through it. 
so we'll start where he started. Let's think about all that practical advice, kind of like the video was getting us at. Everybody telling us how to do this, what to do. And what he says is essentially this in verses 12 to 15, that under the sun, those who teach you how to live don't really know how to change your life. I didn't hear any amens there. Okay, <laughs> verse 12. Look, he said, I applied my mind to study. I applied my mind to explore by wisdom all that is done. All these decisions we make, he wanted to look at it all, all that is done under the heavens. And I have seen that all things are done under the sun, all of them are meaningless. They are a chasing after the wind. Now, as, as a king over Israel in its most successful era, uh, Solomon could have done almost anything he wanted. And what he chose to do, he says, I devoted myself, what I've chosen to do is to explore by wisdom everything that people do. What, what he's looking at is just how, if he were here, he would look and see how do you make your decisions, how have you raised your children, how do you conduct your business. Um, and and he, he would have picked up all the self-help books down at all of our bookstores to figure that out too. Now you might say, what, what a great choice he made. He could have done anything. He chose to be sort of the kind of person who gives counsel and advice to everyone. He must have given up a lot. But, but no, that's not true. In, in the ancient world, the one who was considered uh, the wise person who gave advice to others, that was viewed as the highest, most respected of all callings. And that was true in almost all the ancient callings. And, and Solomon, among all the wise people, was considered to be the wisest. He was sort of like Dear Abby and Dr. Phil all rolled up into one here. <laughs> I'll tell you, if anybody, if anybody was equipped to answer those difficult questions about how should I do this, how should I, should I conduct my life, it was uh, Solomon. In fact, I'm guessing even if you don't go to church very often, um, uh, you know the story in 1 Kings 3 about the two women who both claimed that the same baby was theirs. Did anybody know that story? Brought him into Solomon. Everybody seems to know that story, even people who don't go to church. It was great wisdom. I'll make you read it. 1 Kings chapter 3. Uh, with great wisdom, he was able to sort out which was the real mother, he was so wise being able to figure these things out that in almost every culture of the world still, even in places that don't know much about the Bible, they talk about oh, the wisdom of Solomon, the wisdom of Solomon. But in spite of the fact that he had all that, he looked at this sort of thing, this how we try to live our lives and give counsel to others. In verse 14, do you notice what he said? Oh, it's a heavy burden. What he meant is this is a lousy job. And what he's getting at, and we have so many therapists and counselors here and pastors engaged in this too. He said, all the advice I give seems to make no difference. And you know, did you hear it? He said, doing this, and trying to just figure out how to live. He said, it always feels like chasing after the wind. What do I do this time? I'm really encouraging you, right, Josh and, and, and Annie? What am I going to do with Isabel this time? It's like chasing after the wind. Every time you think you have a good piece of advice, you look and know it's not there at all. It's not there at all. Now, to make sense of what he's trying to get at, what Solomon is referring to is what happened in Genesis 3, 12 and following. Uh, when people left God out of their lives, Adam and Eve left God out of their lives, and that ruined their relationship to God so that we sense that there is probably a God most people do but don't know him personally. And then that also ended up breaking their relationship with one another. The man and woman started fighting, and that, that's continued on in many places, right? <laughs> And, uh, and even inside, they began to be marked by shame and guilt, and the whole world started to be devastated by the evil of the world. So what Solomon says is, after all these centuries 
of people walking away from God and making bad decisions and sinning, the whole world is, is twisted. It, it, it's out of shape. So that even if a counselor were to give someone wise advice, they'd go out into the world and everything is so twisted and bent it wouldn't work anyway. That, that's what he saw. He said it is, a, it is a heavy burden for us to try to live a good life because everything in our world will pull us away from it. Anybody know that that's true? And therefore, it's also hard to give counsel to our children or to anybody else because sometimes it's really hard for them actually to live out even the, the best kind of advice. So that that's where we get that proverb in verse 15. And Solomon, who loved Proverbs, you know, said, um, what is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. The way, the way I put it in my own words, human wisdom can't straighten everything out in our world, nor can it make everything add up in our world. Um, he, he's saying that our world is so twisted or bent in that proverb that we who go out and try to straighten it out will find we can never do it simply with human wisdom and with human strategies. So I've written it down this time, this way. Uh, something has gone wrong in our world so that no matter how many organizations we might form to try to stop the injustice in it, no matter how many hospitals we might establish, uh, to try to provide healing, no matter how many good people we try to get elected. I wonder who those would be in this coming election year. I thought I'd throw that in and see if you even heard. I'll take it up in future sermons, not yet. No matter how much money we try to give away to good causes, no matter how many protests we might hold, no matter how many bad guys we lock up, this world remains crooked and messed up. So, so most of us want to straighten things out and, and to do things right, but somehow every one of us can't do it. And it's not just, and listen to me, especially those of us who go to church often, it's not just that things are out there messed up. That's what we often talk about it in the, in the church that way. Everything out there is messed up. It's not, but every one of us is messed up. So how can messed up people straighten out a messed up world? Uh, so I was thinking about this and thinking how I'd drive this home. And I started thinking about that old uh, Woody Allen movie, Annie Hall. I remember when I watched it back just after my college years, uh, I didn't really like it. But there was one scene I have never forgotten. Alvie Singer, um, Woody Allen played him. I can't do a good Woody Allen impersonation. I don't think I'd want to. But uh, th this is what he said. I feel that life is divided into the horrible and the miserable. That's the two categories. The horrible are like, I don't know, terminal cases, you know, the sick, uh, the crippled. I don't know how they get through life. It's amazing to me. And the miserable is everyone else. So, so you should be thankful that you're miserable because that's very lucky to be miserable. I tell you, I think, I think he had read Ecclesiastes. Solomon says that's the way our world, it's become horrible and miserable, and we're all a part of it, and we can't get out there and straighten it out. Crooked people can't straighten out a crooked world. Uh, so I, was, uh, I wrote about this on social media, some of you know. And, um, 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 oh, man, my mind just blanked. Brian Schmidt, how could I forget Brian? One of our songwriters, one of our scientists here in the church, sent me a song by Thrice. Uh, Dustin uh, Kendrew wrote it, and it's called All the World is Mad. Look at his text. Something's gone terribly wrong with everyone. All the world is mad. Darkness brings terrible things. The sun is gone. What vanity are sad, wretched fires. 
We can't medicate man to perfection again. We can't legislate peace in our hearts. We can't educate sin from our souls. It's been there from the start. See, that's what Ecclesiastes is saying. Now, here is what we need. We need someone who is not crooked to get us and everything else that is crooked straightened out. Going back to Solomon's way of putting it, in, in a crooked world, if the only things that exist are those things under the sun and, and everything is crooked and messed up, then where are we going to find anyone or anything in this world, if this is all there is, where are we going to find anyone and anything to make things right? And the answer is nowhere. It can't be done. Here is what we need. We need someone from above, someone who is outside of this messed up, turbulent world, just come in and be willing to rescue and, and somehow provide a, a new hope and a new future and, and power to somehow be different. What Ecclesiastes does with all of its language that can be kind of depressing, you heard it in the scripture reading, is that it, it, it relentlessly pushes us to understand that, that there at least to long for that there might be a God out there like the Bible says he is. A God who knows where you and I have gone wrong and loves us anyway. A God who is willing to reach down to us, not to wipe us out, but actually to rescue us, Amen. to forgive the pasts that we have so messed up, and to somehow make a different kind of future possible. That, that's what we need. and that's what, I believe that anyone who looks at the world in the comprehensive way that Solomon did, will be pushed in that direction. And then we open up to the New Testament. And, and we see the Apostle John saying, in the beginning was a word. Everything was created by the word, speaking about Jesus. All things were made by him. And then this phrase, and the word became flesh. And he lived among us. That's what John says. I, I just feel the, the enthusiasm. We saw him. We saw the one and only Son of God full of grace and truth. One came from the outside into our world. One lived the life we should live and none of us has. And one was willing to die the death we should have to die because of our sin. But now because he did it in our place, we don't have to. See, the book of Ecclesiastes is pushing us to have a longing for that kind of a God who knows us, who loves us, who isn't in the same problem, mess that we are in, who loves us and is willing to remake us. And so we read the words of Jesus in John 3, 17. The Father did not send the Son to condemn the world, but he sent his one and only Son to rescue the world through him. See, only he has this ability to forgive your past and to begin to make your life right. Which brings us to the second part of what Solomon took up. He said, well, maybe, maybe this didn't work out with me trying this practical knowledge, getting the self-help books. Maybe I just need to have more education. And so here's the way I frame verses 16 to 18. That under the sun, those who know much don't know much. It's really crazy. Do you have any Caltech, Fuller people, PCC people here? Well, look at what he says. So I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge, so then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom, but also on the other side to the madness and folly. But I learned this too, is a chasing after the wind. You see, he turns from the uh, uh, street smarts to the book smarts here. 
thinks if I just study more, everything is going to work out. So I'm going to say a few words about this, but before I do, I've got to pull over here for a moment. Uh, the Bible, Solomon Ecclesiastes is not saying that he does not value learning or education. In fact, throughout the entire Bible, you will find that, that God made the world and, and that when we begin studying the world that he's made and, and how human beings function, we, we study what our Father has made. Uh, the Bible always encourages us to, to work and study hard, to be able to provide even answers to the questions that people ask us about our faith. So, so to, to think and to study, that, that's not a bad thing. It made me think about uh, an old Calvin and Hobbes cartoon. Anybody remember Calvin and Hobbes? I, I loved him. Calvin was a little boy. He had the, the stuffed animal Hobbes, and Calvin often asked really good questions. I put one of them up here for you so you could see it. Uh, so Calvin asks Hobbes, <clears throat> why do you suppose we're here? Uh, because we walked here? No, no, no. I mean, here on earth. Uh, because earth can support life? No. I mean, why are we anywhere? Why do we exist? Uh, because we were born? Oh, forget it. I will, thank you. you know, I, I really enjoy that. I just want you to know that the Bible would really applaud Calvin asking those questions. The Bible is not anti-intellectual. It's not skeptical of education. And one of the parts, because, you know, I, I've been in school so much of my life, one of the parts I've especially loved is near the end of Jesus' own life in John chapter 14, where he declares to us all, I am the truth. And a part of what he is saying when he says that is this. If you and I will diligently go after the kinds of questions that are asked in the book of Ecclesiastes, and we are searching after what is true in this world, we eventually will come to him. We, we will begin to know there must be something more in this world than just the material world. We'll begin to sense that it can't be just a part of this material world, but it has to be someone outside. We'll begin longing for that for sure. Then we'll, we'll read this, and the ring of truth will hit. Uh, you know, a few weeks ago, I was in China with a group of business people who gave testimony to this. After years and years of just atheism, longing, though, to know more, knowing inside there is more, having read so much of this, the longing was filled through faith in Jesus. I pray you have found that, too. When you ask the big questions, you will just know that there is a God bigger than you are, and you'll begin to seek, how do I know him? And that will bring you to the one who is the truth, namely Jesus. So even saying all those good things about studying and learning, though I want you to know this. Studying and learning like almost every other thing under the sun is a terrible idol. And we can make it into that, just how smart we're becoming and all the degrees that we can have. Do you believe that? Not many people believe it. I only heard one little, little girl over here. So, the Apostle Paul, one of the best educated people in his entire society, said in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, that a lot of knowledge tends to puff us up. That's the word that he had. It's kind of like a toad that puffs itself up, makes itself bigger than it really is. And he said it keeps us from loving other people instead of we put other people down. See, if, if what is under the sun is all there is, and uh, that's what we begin to live for. We will find that, that it is a terrible, terrible God. And I love, you, you heard it, chapter 2, verses 12 to 16. He says, okay, I'm going to do this. 
I'm going to compare the future of the one who studies all the time and knows how to live and because light's better. He says it's better to, to know something than not to know something. And I'm going to compare the, that with the one who doesn't know anything. And at the end, did you remember what he said? He said, oh, man, nobody's going to remember either one of them, kindergarten dropout and double PhD, Caltech and Fuller. Uh, nobody's going to remember it. Nobody's going to remember what we said. And at the end, we're both going to die. And then we ended the scripture reading. And you said, thanks be to God after all of that. <laughs> I heard it. So, and he ends it all with a proverb, verse 18. With much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. If that's all there is under the sun. And those of us who've, this is your PhD pastors telling you this, this is really true. Sometimes when you just start the pursuit of higher ed, you keep thinking, I'll, I might be able to really figure it all out by continuing to study. What happens the more you study? The more you just figure out what you don't know. Even if you get into the highest level PhD program in any field, you realize that you don't even know everything about your own field. And you notice that you only know one little field and there's all this rest of the world that you know nothing about. And, and you say, I'll never get there. The more knowledge, the more grief. Um, T.S. Eliot wrote about it in his Choruses from the Rock. All our knowledge only brings us nearer to our own ignorance. The more we know, the more we realize how much we do not know. If life under the sun is all there is, then just living to learn is chasing after the wind. I could stop there, couldn't I? Uh, but I'll tell you, here's what I've done for the end of my message. I pulled, I've, I've walked with Jesus, you know, this is my birthday. I, I've been following Jesus about 58 years of my life. And I've been a pastor or a Christian worker for most of those 40 plus years of my life I have. So I just pulled back and I thought, what do I really want to say to, to my church folks from this word? And, and I came up with several things. Let me, first, in those first four verses, I want to say, I am sure that God is not saying to the many of you who have sensed the calling to be a counselor or a therapist that you should give up your job. I'm sure of that. And I'm sure that he's not saying to those of you who go to counseling and are finding some help there that you should just quit and going it on, on your own. Uh, the knowledge, you see, there's this thing the Bible, uh, we call general revelation. There is much that is true that Christian and non-Christian alike can appreciate simply from what God has made. You can see how things function. You can see if a human being does this, then this will happen. You'll, you'll understand a lot about physiology and biology. There's so much that we learn simply by living in this world. And so good counsel can be received from so many people. The Bible doesn't ever reject that. But at the end of the day, no matter how much good counsel you receive, if it leaves you without a relationship with God, it will leave you empty, and it won't last forever. It must be rooted in the one who is the rock of all of life, namely in God himself. It has to be a relationship with God that then flows into learning from others who have learned more about life and especially who themselves are committed to the God who made you and loves you with an everlasting love. Um, I want to say that. And then, and then I want to say this too, that I'm sure that verses 16 to 18 would not be saying to students here, quit school. The same thing happens to the fool and to the educated. <laughs> like, 
just, just quit. It's not saying to those of you who are involved as research scholars and really quit discovering anything. It's not saying that. Quit discovering about the world. In fact, you, you discover what your father has made the more that you learn about the world. So it's not saying that. But it is saying that you can learn and learn and learn. And if you have no relationship to the eternal God who is the maker of everything in the world and who himself is the very source of all that is true, at the end, it will be meaningless. It really is. Uh, our learning and even our counsel giving can become an idol. And the first commandment, no, nothing in, in my place. When you know me, all of that can become beautiful. If you put that in the first place, it will let you down. That's the consistent Bible's message, isn't it? Now, what do I want you to do with this? I, I want you to think about how you can bring God into the center of all your decision-making. I've asked myself, all right, I've, walked, I've done this a long time. How, how do you actually do that? I thought of several things that I want to suggest to you. Um, one, I want you to be, become more and more aware of God's presence in your life every day and everywhere you go. Amen. Do you know what I mean when I say that? There's this wonderful little book by Brother Lawrence. It's called Practicing the Presence of God. The more I walk with God, the more I see how important that is. How does that actually happen? I honestly think you and I all need to develop more and more this very simple discipline of waking up in the morning and acknowledging that God is here, specifically, intentionally saying, Lord, I, I pray that you would give me an awareness of your presence so that wherever I go, I know it's not outside of your presence, outside of your control, outside of your greatness. And Father, I, I, I ask you to give me some of your wisdom uh, whenever I encounter a person, even a person who gets on my nerves, <laughs> Lord, help me to know that you are here. Help me to see them as you see them, as you see me. I, I just pray you'll develop that, that way of life. Does this make sense to you? It doesn't come naturally to us. We wake up in the morning and the first thing we want, I don't know, is to get a cup of coffee or something and... and but this, this is what I'm longing for us to develop, this way of life that knows that when we leave church, God goes with us, and he is there every moment. And so to bring him into those decisions that we make, whether it's parenting or anything else, that's the first thing I, I want to say. The second thing I want to say is what you're already doing, so I want to commend you. I really think you need to worship every week with your church family. I can almost hear you say, every pastor wants people to show up at church. Yes, <laughs> I do want you to show up at church, but not just because I want to have a lot of people in church, but because of what can happen in your life when you come here. Because I know us, um, that, that when we leave church, we, you might make a new commitment to God and say, I really want to bring you into every day of my life. You go out of church and all the same things happen. All the pressures come, all the things you have to do come, and you forget about God. Isn't that true? Sometimes problems come up that they even seem greater than God. And so what, what's supposed to happen when you come into church? This is this discipline that God gives us. You come into church and we should worship. And the word worship simply means putting God in his rightful place at the center of everything. So we, we sing and say, God, you are God. You're greater than anything I encounter. And then also, if your pastors will be faithful, and when they open this, they won't just give you a self-help book, but really open the Bible. And, and if you come with a longing to hear what your heavenly father has to say, I don't even have to be a very engaging or entertaining speaker at all. 
if I actually open this word and say, this is what God's word says, there's just something inside of you that says, I needed to hear something from the Lord. Makes it easier for me to preach too. But I, I'm just telling you, it, this is just one of those disciplines, a gift from God, a family of people to worship with. And you can meet God on your own, and I pray that you will. But I am telling you this, in my life as a Christian, the times when God has really broken in again and spoken to me and assured me that he is real and that he loves me and that I belong to him have been here worshiping together with my church family. It's just a, a special presence of God as his people come together and worship. And I long that you will make that more and more a discipline in your life. And then I think the last thing that I, I want to suggest to you about learning to have God at the center of your decision-making is that you really do need to find a smaller group than even this group can be to you. And sometimes you need to find a smaller group of people who are walking through the same kinds of things that you're walking through. I, I think about when I was a young parent, it was so great for me to find another Christian who was a young parent, and I say, is this happening with your kids? And I found out I wasn't alone. What do you do? And it's really good when you have somebody who's gone through it before and be able to say, this is what we did, and don't give up, and all. We need one another, but we need one another in the sense that that one another actually are people who are committed to the same God who must be brought into the center of everything. And if you say, where do I find a person like that? Well, we're committed to trying to help you. Um, through that little connect sign, we have some people there. Even if you come at the end to pray with people, talk with them. How can I find a group of people? And this isn't just for parents. I, I find that business people, sometimes you have it. How does a Christian make this business decision? Those in business, don't you often come to that? Wouldn't it be good to have a Christian brother or sister who, who's going to pray with you and, and, and give you some advice about that and look at God's word with you? And, and it's true for every walk of life. Unemployment, underemployment. You sit there and say, how do we view this? What, what do we do in this time? We're not meant to grow and live wisely alone. So those are the things I, I want to suggest to you, uh, a rigor of just knowing that God is always with you, a discipline of worshiping together with your family, and I, I long for you to find a smaller group of people that will walk with you. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great German pastor who was so faithful to Jesus, in the midst of Hitler's uh, Nazi period. Um, he, he grew up in a home in which his father was the leading psychiatrist and neurologist in all of Germany. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer himself was a very well-educated man, educated both in Germany and here in the United States. And yet, when he was walking through those times of hard decisions, it wasn't that he gave up all of that learning and education, but during that period, he was brought into a smaller community of people in the midst of the hardships. And out of that, he wrote this marvelous book, Life Together. Um, and he recognized what, what, what Solomon is saying. In fact, I think he drew some of the thoughts from it. I put his quote here for you to look at, and I'll, I'll read it for you. Bonhoeffer said, the most experienced scholar in any field related to human nature knows infinitely less of the human heart than the simplest Christian who lives beneath the cross of Jesus. Apart from Jesus, the greatest psychological or intellectual insight, ability, and experience cannot grasp this one thing, what sin is. So worldly wisdom knows what distress and weakness and failure are, but it does not know the sinfulness of human beings. And so it does not know that humanity is destroyed by sin and can be healed only by forgiveness. Forgiveness. 
Only the Christian knows this. The Christian brother and sister know that when I come to them, here is a sinner like us, a fallen person who wants to confess and yearns for God's forgiveness. The brother or sister views me as I am without God and as I become through the merciful work of God and the cross of Christ. I, I just pray that even here among this church family, in, in the hearing of his word and through the presence of the Spirit, you may discover true lasting wisdom uh, for your life. I pray today might be a time of commitment to Jesus for some of you and a recommitment for all of us. And that then through the prayers and support of, of God people, you will be able to live a life that is not chasing after the wind. And you'll live to his glory. Amen. Amen. Um, I'm going to sing a song for you. Try to, try to do it anyway. A song that came to my mind as I was preparing this passage uh, about who God is, is the rock in the midst of so many things that seem like chasing after the wind. And I pray God might use it in your life. Oh, let me pray first. Father, continue to do your work even in this part of our service. Father, I thank you as my brothers and sisters are coming uh, to lead that you would use our playing and our singing not to our own glory, but to further this, your word, and your work in each of our hearts and our lives. Father, what we do, we do to you. Pray that you will receive the praise and honor. Pray that we will remember that you are the one who forgives. You are the one who loves us more than we could ever love ourselves. You are the one whose word reminds us that you never give up on us and are always ready to begin with us again. So continue to speak, continue to do your work, and we pray for this in the name of Jesus. Amen.